Oh, hi. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. <clears throat> What's going on with my voice today? I don't know, but I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us. I guess I should tell you who I am, right? My name's Sarah Buino. I'm your host. And this is a show where we talk about the intersectional journey of healing self while healing others. And let me tell you, friends, today's intersectional journey of healing self is a doozy. So I'm weighing here because there's something that's in this episode that could be very triggering for some folks. But at the same time, I don't want to ruin the story, but I'm going to give you a trigger warning anyway. If anyone has struggled with getting pregnant and having a pregnancy come to full term, please take care of yourself because this story might not be easy for you to listen to. But Dr. Funnies is so cool and I had no idea what we were getting into with this interview today in a good way. So Dr. Funnies and I met on Instagram and they want to remain anonymous and I am going to honor that for her. But she's really cool and she's been through so fucking much. So I think that folks are really going to appreciate hearing the depth and the breadth of what she has done to become a mental health professional. So let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Funnies. Dr. Funnies is a mental health therapist trying her best to help heal others. She's been in the field for over 17 years and believes that laughter can sometimes be the best medicine. And you can follow her at Mental Health Funnies. So please enjoy my conversation with the lovely Dr. Funnies. Hello, Dr. Funnies. Hello. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am so excited because we are friends on Instagram. Like for real, we talk all the time on the IGs, change them memes, all of it, but we don't know each other at all. Right. And I'm kind of excited about this incognito, this anonymous situation. (laughs) Me too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, you know, talk about that. But before we get into that, can you tell people a little bit more, of course, anonymously, who you are and what you do? Yes, I am a therapist, a mental health therapist. I've been in the field for about 17 plus years. I mainly work with adults currently. I did work with children for a while and I run a meme page. (laughs) Yep. Are you just on Instagram or are you on Facebook doing that too? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. Someone suggested I do a TikTok, but I don't know how I'd do that and still be anonymous. Maybe I'll just take videos of stuff. Yeah, you well, you'd need like an anonymous mask, but then they might come after you. So <laughs> <laughs> how about this? I'll make you a mask of my face and you can mm. use mine. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be weird at all. Oh, yeah, <laughs> And you don't have to like tell us exactly the town even, but like where in the country are you? Yes, I am on the East Coast. East Shout Coast. Shout out to my East Coast people. What, what? <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm curious, I guess. Well, let's talk about the page first. And then I want to get into some more, a little bit more personal history. But tell me about the Dr. Funny's meme page. Yes, I started it, I want to say May of 2020. So a couple months after the pandemic mm-hmm. started, I had just started my therapist job. And this has pretty much been one of the best jobs I've had, honestly, as far as autonomy and just creative freedom. 
So I started that job in November 2019. And then, you know, I had an office. Yeah. Had an office, had my name on the door. (laughs) I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm coming up. And then the pandemic hit. And I'm like, you mean I can't use my office anymore? I can't be here anymore. Now we have to go virtual. And that's not how I learned how to do therapy, you know? Same, same. Yeah. So also I'm an avid Instagram user. So on my personal side, I was often Mm. on Instagram and I just wasn't getting a good feeling for my timeline. Hmm. Sometimes when you're following certain things, other things pop up. And sometimes you walk around with information that you probably didn't need to have in the first place. And now you feel a certain type of way. So I decided to try to make a mental health page. And I didn't know how I wanted to do this. I didn't know if I wanted to be inspirational, if I wanted to give affirmations, you know, words of encouragement. And then I made my first meme. I didn't even know this was going to go anywhere. I just made it and it just kind of grew from there. And I kind of like being funny. I use humor a lot in my therapy sessions. So I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. Let's just keep making the memes. And then this meme contest came along, which I think you may have heard me talk oh. about. In my- <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. With counseling memes, that's the Instagram page that held the meme contest. And so I entered, he was very encouraging. And when I entered the contest, again, I didn't think <laughs> anything of it. You know, it, I think the prize was, I think, $100 or something. So I was like, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. If I went around, yeah. But the exposure part of it is what I was hoping for. And I got exactly that because I I don't know how many memes were entered, but I was like runner up. And out of five memes that they had to choose from, people, there were so many votes. There were so many votes. And I got so many. It was an awesome experience. And it just kind of solidified, like, okay, keep going with this because. I have so many other ideas and so many other things that are coming that I'm pretty excited about. So this being one of them, talking with you for sure. (laughs) Yeah, And I got to say, the support has been great. Like you have definitely been one of my biggest supporters, along with other people that I see all the time are liking the memes or, you know, sharing the content. And it's just been great. And being anonymous at it makes it even more fun. So the darker the humor. Right. No, you can literally I mean. say anything because nobody knows who you are except me. Exactly. I'm the <laughs> only one. Some, yeah, even some people do know. It's even better for the people that do know who I am. Even yeah. they are like, are you making these memes? I'm like, yeah, I'm, it's me searching for the pictures, putting the writing on everything. Uh-huh. That's so funny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What's so cool. So social media can be a place of evil and it can be a place of good. And what I think is so cool about people like you is I just started sharing your memes because they were funny. Like I just like them. And so I repost a lot of other people's stuff. So I don't have to make my own content all the time. Because that takes a lot of fucking work. And (laughs) your eyes get really big. Yeah, it does. Um, And then you, you sent me a DM and you were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing. And I was like, what do you mean? Thank you for giving content to my page. And it's just like, there can be this mutual connection. I was talking to one of my friends, one of her staff members running their social media. And I talked to him today and I was like, I approach social media like a regular networking event where I'm thinking about how can I support you? Because if I can support you, then you're going to support me and we're going to be best friends and we're going to have an amazing time 
changing the world, right? So that I felt that energy from you instantly. And I was so excited to get to know you. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the networking, because that's what it actually has been. I didn't even understand that that's what was going to come from it. And I've met Mm -hmm. so many people and they're like, a strong circle of this core group of like therapist mm. memes and mental health memes that I see all the time. And like I said, we're always liking each other's things, sharing. It feels very like community like. And I definitely need that at a time like this where you're doing therapy virtually. Mm-hmm. You feel almost alone. No, you feel alone. You do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Say it. Yeah. So being able to interact with people, because if I was in the office, we would be talking about these same things just in person. And we can't do that. So this is a way to share and even share with more people and help them kind of normalize some of the stuff we're going through. Yeah. (laughs) Well, would you, if you feel comfortable doing so, and and obviously this is to your, your level of comfort, but would you mind telling us a bit about what led you, like from your early years, what led you to become a therapist? Why are you doing this? Right. I mean, I guess we got to go back, way back. We got to go back. Yes. Back in the time, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so I come from a family of, it's four siblings, so myself and three older siblings. My mm-hmm. siblings are, the youngest sibling out of that group is 17 years older than me. So I was the baby, baby, oh, like surprise baby. Oh, yeah. Okay, so my parents, I'm going to be honest, I don't think they got high school diplomas. I think only my brother and my sister did. And so that was the, I was always a studious kid, first of all. So my mom <laughs> would try to punish me and send me to my room. And I would just sit there and read books all the time. Like, I'm like, so I like this. So going into high school, I knew immediately like, okay, I want to go into psychology. I want to go into college and mainly psychology because I had a family member who suffered from a mental illness. And I saw them getting treatment and I saw them going through these processes. So I figured, you know, how can you help people like that? And then I also saw the movie Sybil. (laughs) Me too. Scared the shit out of me. My mother made me watch that and was basically like, your life is better than this. Suck it up. Oh my God. She turned for punishment purposes. Yes. Yes. Teach you a lesson. Anyway, back to you, Sybil. Yeah, that movie, I don't know, it got me really interested in that particular disorder, which is, you know, back then called multiple personality disorder, now called dissociative identity disorder. So I was really interested in wondering how you work in this field, how do you work with people that suffer from mental illness? So when I got to high school, I had a very good AP psychology teacher. He was awesome. I mean, I took this class during my lunch break. I was bring food. I didn't care. Like, I just want to get into psychology and understand it. And it seemed like such a type of thing I wanted to do. And I had a lot of friends as well who would come to me still sometimes to this day for like advice. And let me make sure I'm not crazy. Let me run this by you. Yeah. So he was a doctor and I'm like, how do you even get that far? Like, what does that mean? What is that? I had no clue. Right. (laughs) Still working on that. (laughs) Yeah. So when I got into college, it was great. I got into the psychology program. I attended a small HBCU and it was like a home. It still is like a home to me. And so I had some very good professors there in psychology who gave us opportunities as far as internships and things Hmm. of that nature. Yeah. So I did two internships. One was in the Midwest 
and one was by me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm in Chicago. Okay. All right. <laughs> nice. I've been there. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I did that and did the internships. And I remember my first internship, we had like a gathering or something like that. It was like the interns were getting together and having dinner or something like that. And I had on a jean dress. I thought it was appropriate for the time. I wasn't like overly provocative or anything. And mm-hmm. there was a another female that was there as well who also had on a dress of similar nature. But I was the one that got approached and said that I needed to go home and change. So that was kind of my first encounter of, okay, even though I'm in this professional field, mm-hmm. sometimes you might run into situations where you might feel uncomfortable or someone may have something to say. And I, mm-hmm. I really didn't know how to respond. I just went home and changed. Like somebody oh else may have God. stood up for themselves or whatever you want to call it and said something. But mm-hmm. I felt really bad about that. And it kind of tainted the rest of the internship for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And was that a peer that said that or was that? No, a... this was the mm-hmm. director. This is the director oh, of the internship. Yeah, I'm exactly. so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, it was, it was kind of rough. And like I said, that was my first encounter Mm. with something like that. So then after I graduated from college, the interesting thing was I remember being in my dorm room, coming back after graduation and looking at all my stuff like, well, I guess I got to move out now. I don't know what I'm going to do with this, you know, bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. in psychology. Like, what can I do with that? I can't. Not, not much. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, okay, I have to go back to school, but I'm not ready to do that now. So I took a break, about two years off, and then I was in a relationship, as we all are at times, and (laughs) it didn't work out, Mm -hmm. not at all. And so that caused me to move back to my hometown and Mm -hmm. figure out what I wanted to do. Like, do I really want to pursue this psychology thing? What do Mm -hmm. I have to do next? I have to get into a master's program. Let me try that route because I know it's at least like a two-year track. Mm -hmm. So I entered grad school at a little private institution and it was fun. It was so concentrated on, I always wanted to be around people like me. (laughs) They just wanted to learn and just eat up psychology. So yeah, right. Yeah. So it was, it was awesome. I did the two-year program there and, you know, with a two-year program, you um, do a practicum, which is like an internship. So I did that my second year and I worked at a residential facility for teens suffering from substance abuse or addiction. Mm. It was tough. It was definitely a tough Mm -hmm. job. And I was the only intern from my school there. I didn't really feel supported like I needed to for this being my first time doing therapy by myself. An addiction. No joke. Exactly. exactly, Mm -hmm. Right. So I remember I had an offsite supervisor and that was fine until it wasn't. So he said something about my dress again. When I would go to this place, I would wear jeans, Mm -mm. I'm wearing Tims, I'm wearing sweaters. Because that's what the kids wear. You have to dress the way that the kids, yes, yes. But that's not what she said. She said I was dressing overly provocative. And she didn't say this to me. She actually said this to my director, my training director. And I ended up having a meeting and everything. And luckily, my training director was super supportive. She actually came to my site, saw that I wasn't getting support, saw what was going on. Mm. And she allowed me to finish the internship with the hours that I needed. So that was like my second encounter with situations Mm. like this. Okay, do I stand up for myself in this profession? Am I unprofessional? Mm -hmm. Am I really what these people are saying that I am? I don't feel like that, but maybe I am. 
Yeah. Can we stop on that for just a second? Because I, you know, we have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who either want to become therapists or they are therapists or all kinds of folks. And I'm just thinking about, I mean, I had a similar experience too, where I was, I was often told that I was dressing inappropriately. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, like just because, you know, I would wear things that fit to my body, but not like super clingy. My, you know, my boobs weren't falling out or anything. Mm-hmm. You couldn't see my ass cracked, like mm-hmm. nothing like that. I just looked cute. And it's so sexist, obviously, and misogynist. I actually, there was one time where I was working in a treatment center, addiction stuff, and I was interning and one of the counselors was gay. And that made him believe that he was allowed to stick his fingers basically in my shirt to show me like, cause I, th- I think truthfully I'd gained a little weight. And so my shirt was kind of like popping up and just a little bit, but he literally yeah. like poked his finger in that hole. And I'm like, you don't, I don't care if you don't like vagina, you are not allowed to touch my boobages. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious for you, how much of it also felt like racism? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm be honest, most of it felt like that because even in the encounter I told you the first one I had, the mm-hmm. we weren't of the same race. The other you know? girl. We had yeah. different body types, you know. And so, like you said, I don't, I'm not wearing anything where I'm spilling out. My clothes just happen right. to fit. I don't like to swim in my clothing. Right. <laughs> my husband always makes fun of me. He's like, form fitting? You're like form fitting, right? Form fitting. <laughs> like, right, yeah, like, but that's fitting. normal. Like, yeah. there's... Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, what we call, quote unquote, professional is all based mm-hmm. on white standards, which are mm-hmm. usually more conservative than the average bear. And it's mm-hmm. stupid. It's boring. And fuck that shit. I'm just sorry mm-hmm. that happened to you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, honestly, all of these instances that I'm about to tell you about, as mm-hmm. much as we can get into, you know, they mm-hmm. have taught me something and brought me to who I am today, you know. So after that internship, I graduated with my master's in clinical psychology. It was an awesome Mm. accomplishment. I was living all in it. And then I had the idea, like, you know what, you might as well go ahead and get your doctorate because, you know, once you get that, you can have flexibility, you can do this, you can do that. I remember graduating, I had a paper due the next day, like the next week, and he was like, I thought you graduated. Like, what, what do you mean you got a paper due? Like, yeah, I got to keep going. I got to keep pushing. So being able to go into the doctorate program in the same school allowed me to, you know, kind of, well, it was supposed to be fast track. It didn't end up being that way. But, <laughs> you know, they allowed you a certain number of years to finish your program. So mm. but what you do is you take two practicums during that time and then you do an internship. So mm-hmm. my first practicum, I don't think I had any issues with my first practicum or my second one necessarily. They were actually pretty good placements. And after you do your practicums, then you go for an internship. And so that's where things get a little tricky, right? And at the time when I was applying, it was back in the day where nothing was electronic. You had to mail mm. everything. So you try to apply for a place where you want to be. And they tell you in school, you know, try to kind of venture out because there are a lot of people... Mm applying for very little slots. So I applied in Hawaii. I applied in freaking Canada. I was applying everywhere because I'm like, we're just going to get out of here. Like if we Mm. have to, I'm just going to go so I can finish this program. And if you don't get placed in the first round, you had to go through second round, which was clearinghouse. And that was this scramble to try to get an internship. So I remember being at my practicum, trying to fill out for this second round, being devastated 
that I didn't make the first round? What does that mean? You know, will I get a spot? Will I have to wait until next year? So I remember getting invitation for an interview for a place in the Midwest, in your lovely town. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, you know, I've never really visited the city before. I've heard it has beautiful architecture, which it definitely does. It does. It was great. I remember we went over there to seek out whether we were going to find an apartment, which we didn't at that time. But it was great visiting the city. And I had all these high hopes. You know, I remember being on the interview with the site and I felt a really good vibe between me and the supervisor. Mm. She seemed really sweet. And there was another person from my school that was going to the same site. So I felt really Uh. comfortable. And I knew this person. We were friends. Okay. And so... We don't hate them. We don't have to boo. Okay. I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) No story. That's no story. (laughs) I said we were friends. We were. Yeah. Oh, goodness. It happens, you know. But we were friends. And I remember the first week we went to this internship, I found out that the supervisor that I had talked to, that I had this great rapport with, she left the site. So now we have... We had our site supervisor, we had a training supervisor, we had a testing supervisor, and then each one of us had individual supervision with someone. So that's like four mm-hmm. supervisors. Yeah, right. Wow. Which is, if anybody has worked in environment like that, it's tough when you got four people all wanting you to yeah. have certain expectations and meet certain expectations. So mm-hmm. it was the first time this site had ever done an internship so oh then they don't know what they're doing so they they didn't Uh, and they kind of acted like once I would say we were there for about a month and a half everything was going great we were doing you know our didactics which you know are the meetings that you have to have at least once a week to Mm -hmm. go over topics in psychology we were having our sessions with individuals we had our testing supervisor we were meeting with her And then out of nowhere, I get this email from one of the supervisors saying, we want to have a meeting with you, I don't know, tomorrow at 10 Mm a.m. And I'm like, okay. So this is at a point where I'm like, okay, I'm about to be in this career field of psychology. Let me try to have some autonomy and ask a question. So I asked, Mm -hmm. what is the meaning pertaining to or what is the meaning about? Mm -hmm. Which is a totally fair question. Right? I thought. (laughs) (laughs) You already knew. You already knew where I was going. I know where it's going. Of course I do. I'm so so sorry. Yeah, that was just like the Mm -hmm. start of this kind of Mm -hmm. idea of me being this like insubordinate, disrespectful person because I didn't get the response of, oh, it's about, you know, this or that. No, it's just like, no, you have to be there and we're having the meeting. So I remember, (sighs) you know, if somebody tells you like, I got to tell you something at 12 o'clock tomorrow, you're going to be thinking about it like all day. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know what it's about. Did I do something wrong? What's going on? I get to the meeting and they're putting me on a performance improvement plan or a PIP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, you guys have to get this many hours because now we know. Now they've gone through, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, APA or whoever they need to go through to get the regulations for what the internship should look like. Okay, you guys have to have this many hours by this time. You got to do this many tasks. You got to see this many clients. It's all this strictness now. And so I'm like, okay, well, in my head, I'm like, why? okay, why couldn't we just be told this? Why am I now being put on this performance plan? And for me, I felt like I was being targeted, right? I get on this plan. None of the, the your other intern friend didn't? That's the thing. My other intern mm-hmm. friend, who was my friend, she got on the plan. Her plan was slightly different. 
and a little bit more lenient. They were a little bit more lenient with her. Mm. And during this time, this was probably around October or so, I find out that me and my boyfriend, who's my husband now, but we mm. find out that we are pregnant. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm on an internship. I'm pregnant. What is this going to do? I remember finding out and that day we were supposed to go to the doctor's. And I told mm-hmm. the testing supervisor, she was a bit younger than me at the time. And I remember telling her, hey, I have a doctor's appointment. I can't make supervision today. And she's asking me, like, what is the appointment about? You can't do that. Yeah. I'm like, it's personal. You know, it's a personal mm-hmm. appointment. And she says, you know, OK, whatever. A week later, we are together, just her and I. And I tell her, well, hey, you know, I, I know I didn't tell you at the time what was going on with my appointment. What I found out or what I'm confirmed was that I'm I'm pregnant. And she mm-hmm. goes, oh, thank God, because I was wondering, did she get raped? Did her boyfriend <gasps> beat her up? Did she have a drug overdose? And I'm like, all of these stereotypes. Why? Why? I was shocked. I couldn't even say anything. Can we pause on that, too? Yeah. Like, that's so terrible. I was shocked. I'm still shocked to this day. And that was years ago, you know, mm. and I just was floored. I, I didn't have any words for her. And I just was like, nah, yeah, I'm, I'm pregnant. That's that's what happened. So, uh, of course, I mm. tell my boyfriend at the time he's livid about it. But, you know, what are you going to do? I'm on an internship. Right. You literally have no power. No, none. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to understand. Mm-hmm. You think you can go into this internship and you can change things or you can point out Mm -mm. error, you can make mistakes. (laughs) You better do what they tell you, the way they tell you to do it, and when they tell you to do it, or else you're going to have kind of like a target on you. So that's how I felt. You know, the plan was renewed every couple of months. We would come to these meetings where I would be on one side of the table. The four supervisors would be on the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. It got so uncomfortable that I started recording the meetings. Like, Putting the recorder on the for you. table, again, they took that as disrespect or they were offended by it and they didn't understand my position. That's gaslighting then, right? <laughs> like that's like saying, oh, you're clearly crazy that you think yes. you need to record us. But if you're feeling, oh right? my God, this has just all been handled so wrong. Yeah, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. one meeting, they asked me to be there at I don't know, 9 a.m. And then I got an email from my immediate supervisor saying, no, be there at 10. So I said, like, okay. I come at 10. They are living. They are chewing me out for 45 minutes straight. What? See, this is what we're talking about. You're showing up late. And I'm like, but no, I got that. No, no one oh sent an email, God. blah, blah, blah. When that meeting finally finished, I couldn't run to my printer fast enough and print off that email and right. show it to them. And luckily, the supervisor that sent it, she, she was the only one that apologized. Everybody else just kind of looked at me like, mm, bro. Wow. I mean, I was called disrespectful. I was called a liar. I was I was called so many things. And I had a male, there were three females and one male supervisor. And I remember meeting with him and telling him how out of place I felt in Chicago. I'm from the East Coast. I also have locks, as you can see. I got a mm-hmm. wrap up now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see not a person like me there me or I can tell you were on the north side (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. not on the good part there were so many instances of people just kind of like staring at us and not knowing what to make of us what neighborhood did you live in do you remember I I think it's Woodridge it's near somewhere near Naperville oh that's 
not even Chicago. Of course, you didn't belong in the the Western suburbs. Oh, God. Now I'm like, my heart is bleeding. Why did they take you there? Oh, God. Okay. Okay. That's even worse. Because if you were in the city, at least there would have been some sort of diversity. Okay. Western suburbs. Got it. I have a friend Mm -hmm. that lives in the city. And when we would visit him all the time, yes, I was like, this is where we should have moved to this city. This is horrible. Mm -hmm. Let me take a moment to just interrupt this amazing conversation and remind you that Head Heart Conversations is a webinar series that we're hosting for psychotherapists, and it's designed to invite your inner healer to the forefront of your personal and professional life. At Head Heart Therapy, we approach healing from the inside out, and we believe that in order to offer the best care to our clients, we therapists must do our inner work as well. And at this point in history, we're called to move beyond the old ways of being and courageously step into a new paradigm. Therapists are poised to support our clients' transformation, but we must also transform ourselves. And in this four-part series, we encourage participants to learn about themselves as well as enhance their clinical skills. And our second webinar takes place on Friday, May 7th. It's titled Trauma from the Individual to the Collective. And myself and Raelle Grayson team up to investigate how trauma affects a person internally and how that personal impact informs our collective experiences. There will be a special in-depth focus on racial trauma and how we begin to heal from the traumatic impact of white supremacy. And as a special thanks to Conversations with the Wounded Healer listeners, you can get 20% off your order by using the code PODCAST when you register. For more info and to register, visit www.tinyurl.com slash hhconvos. I remember being in that internship for about eight months and just constantly feeling discriminated against. I remember asking them about my pregnancy. What is that going to do? Can I stay on past my due date and come Mm -hmm. back and finish the internship? All of that was like, yes, yes, that's fine. But in reality, Mm -hmm. it wasn't. I remember working like 12 hours. I was eight months pregnant at this point, working like 12 hour days, walking from the train station to the school in cold weather Mm -hmm. (laughs) and trying to get all the hours, everything that they said I needed to do. I tried to do it. And I did do it, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever they needed the hours turned in, whatever it was, I made it happen. And I remember my very last meeting, I was supposed to meet with all four of them. And when I showed up, there was only the director there. So I knew something wasn't right. And she basically told me, you know, we're not going to keep you on. We're going to let you go. And at the end, pretty much I had like a couple months left. You Are know, you no. fucking kidding? No, I'm not. You're like, I'm trying to hold it together now while I'm talking oh to you. But yeah. And then she had me escorted out of the building. I'm eight months pregnant. What am I going to do? <sighs> like, he literally held my elbow and escorted me mm. out of the building. I had to get my last check and everything. <sighs> and then it was like, okay, let's move back to the East Coast. Like, we, we can't be here anymore. This isn't oh what we gosh. thought it was going to be. Let's go. And that's exactly what we did, I want to say within a month after they let me go, I had moved back to my hometown. Mm. And like I said, at the time I was pregnant. So when I moved back, it was around like eight and a half or so, around like 36, 37 weeks. So I didn't have a doctor. I didn't have. Mm. Oh my God. Oh my God. It keeps going. And yeah. Mm. And then on June 16th, I go into what I thought was labor. We go to the hospital. We're excited. We're about to have our first daughter. They hooked me up to the machine. There's no heartbeat. What? 
No heartbeat. What? The doctor was quite cold in how he expressed it. I still remember that. What? Yeah. Yeah. Our child was born. She was still born at 37 weeks after this whole internship crap, you know, and having to move back. Oh, you talking about an hurt and angry person that I was at that time. I remember just times just waking up crying. I'm just, near te- I-, I need to pause right here because this is like, um, I just, I am speechless. I am yeah. sad. I am angry. I am beside myself. And we can talk in a minute how you feel about this from a spiritual perspective. But I'm just mm-hmm. like, why the fuck mm-hmm. would God do this to you? Well, I mean, honestly, I found out it, she really was an angel. And she mm-hmm. brought our families, me and my husband's families together I remember we had an awesome, mm-hmm. awesome grief counselor who came in directly afterwards. And she just kind of expressed to us of how we needed to be there for each other, mm-hmm. how we can grieve, just giving us all this stuff that we were going through and kind of normalizing it for us. And it really made me feel better. She gave me a book to read, mm-hmm. which I don't think I have it over here somewhere because I just suggested mm-hmm. it to one of my clients. But yeah, it's called Empty Cradle, Broken Heart. That's what it's called. That book helped me a lot because when you go through something like that, which, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about, you know, it's the after effects. You think about your how your mm-hmm. body used to be. Mm-hmm. You see oh other women. God. You see other women who are pregnant. You see babies being born around the same time your child was born. They're having birthdays now. They're seven. Your child would have been seven. Like, it doesn't go away. And luckily, me and my husband, we were able to come together and really grieve her. I remember Mm. for, I don't know how long, maybe almost a year, we would light a candle in the day, a Mm. red candle. And that was like her representation. And we would blow it out every night. Like we were putting her to bed. Like, yeah. But it did something for us. And also we started seeing cardinals a lot. So cardinals have become Mm. special to us. And just the color red. And mm-hmm. there's a song called, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Mm-hmm. And girl, don't let me be somewhere. And that song come on unexpectedly. I will burst into tears <laughs> oh because that song just kept playing over and over in my head in the weeks after she passed. And then I want to say two months after she passed, my grandfather passed away. He was 103 at the time. Wow. You know, and then myself, I was completely fearful of animals, right? And so mm. I was able to get a cat at like 25 and she completely changed my life. And so after mm. my grandfather passed, she passed away. I was like, <gasps> threes, God. Oh. Like, what is happening? You know, I had her for maybe like six or seven years or so. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do after that. I didn't. I was right. so upset about losing the internship, losing my child, losing my grandfather, like just a lot of loss. Right. So something like my family and my friends for sure, like helped to support me and encourage me to keep going. They all knew I wanted to finally Mm. get my doctorate degree and move on. So I decided to go back to my school and they have their own consortium, internship consortium. So I said, okay, I'm going to apply in the fall. I talked to some of the directors. They said, okay. And did you have to start all over? Yeah, start all over. Start all. Oh, I didn't even tell you. I didn't even tell you. Oh, my goodness. 
So there was an investigation, right? Because I didn't just leave this internship. I was like, something didn't, there was no due process. There was no this, right? Mm. So, you know, you go through the investigation process through the professional organization that governs the internship. Oh, shit. And they investigated, and I'm pretty sure they only talked to people that were not brown and Mm. asked them, did they discriminate against me? They came back and they didn't find any discriminatory practices is what they said. And I'm like, well, how would mm. how would you really know if you didn't ask anyone that would right. understand what that looks exactly. like? Right. Like, oh even me God. telling you what I what she said to me when I told her I was pregnant, I put that mm-hmm. in the uh <laughs> in the investigation. But that wasn't any type of like discrimination of any type of racial anything. So okay, all right, fine, no findings. They say due process wasn't done. They tell the site to rehire me have me meet with the training director and then they fire me. This is all done discreetly. I didn't even know that's what they were doing because I wouldn't have went through with the interview had I known <sighs> that's what they were trying to do. So that oh added God. to it as well. You know, my school wasn't really supportive in that. There's not much they could really do because it was the site. Right, so, right, yeah. It's a separate, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I had to start all over and I went on my interviews and the consortium at my school has like 27 sites in my state the bordering states. So you could be placed at any one of those. They're all a part of the same thing. So I remember interviewing at a place where my friend, my other friend, another good friend of mine, who's Mm. still a friend, where he was at. And he had spoken to the directors about me. And when I went for the interview, it was great. It was really good vibe, good feeling. It's two African-American males who run the business. And so I really liked it. And I remember hearing about the interview and they said I didn't get it. I'm like, why? Why didn't I get it? They said that I needed therapy. I'm like, okay. No. Well, yeah. I I mean, you did just lose literally like everything in your life. Oh my God. I was like, okay, but can I do both? Can I be, can we at least see if I'm able to do this? Because as I told you, I, I didn't just suppress those losses. I like literally grieved each one every day and still do. So I felt like I had processed it, but oh, this is what had happened. When I went on the interviews, I thought people would be empathetic to my situation and what had happened out there on my internship site. They didn't want to hear that. All they wanted to hear was me taking responsibility for my actions and (sighs) the things that I was working on to try to rectify those situations. So that's what my my good supervisor, who's also a good friend of mine now, that's what Mm. she suggested to me for the next time I tried interviewing there again. And that's what I did. I waited a whole freaking year (laughs) and that put me back like two years pretty much let me stop on that for a second too because this is like that makes me so angry to hear because how in this field are we like okay just shut yourself down there's a space for professional vulnerability, right? Like, and to be able to go, like, I mean, you should never go into a meeting and if people are like, how are you? Be like, I'm fine. Like, no, like, hey, I'm struggling with grief today. And it's not like you were in there like weeping or like, you know, keening or doing anything weird. Like you were just like, hey, this happened to me. And I mean, it's so weird because so I'm an employer and when we interview, I've recognized I have to tell people up front that mm-hmm. I want your part. Like I already am assuming you're a good therapist. If I look at your resume and if I talk to you, like I'm assuming you're a good therapist. I want to know what your heart is. I want to know mm-hmm. like who you truly are from the inside out. And someone coming in saying like, I'm struggling with grief or I'm, you know, doing these things like 
that should be what we encourage. Know, Connection. Right? Oh my God. All of the story makes me want to slash everybody's tires. I hate them all. <laughs> I can either hairdressers. No. <laughs> well, I can drive to the suburbs. You let You're me right? know. <laughs> oh my gosh. But no, so when I did go back and finally did get the internship, it was a great placement. I mean, mm. not any really concerns there. It went pretty smoothly. I worked full time as a social worker during that as well. Mm. Oh, and I also had had a child. So two months after my oh. first child passed away, we found out we were pregnant again. And oh so she was born a year later. They looked very much alike. It was pretty oh, wow. amazing, you know. So, and she is nine and now she will be 10. Mm. So the internship then went great. I finally graduated. I remember when I graduated with my doctorate, I had my family there. The only person that was missing at the time was my mother, who had passed away in 2014, kind of unexpectedly. And my parents died in 2014. Really? Yeah. yeah. How old are you? I'm 41. I'm 42. So yes, like a lot of people our age lost their parents in fucking 2014. That crazy, man. So, and it was unexpected. She went in for surgery and she caught an infection. It just got crazy. And so oh my, God. my mother-in-law then kind of took on a double mother role like, for herself. She was like, I'm mm-hmm. going to be there. I'm going to push mm-hmm. you through this just like your mom would be. And, you mm-hmm. know, she, she would definitely want you to keep going. And she all the time she would tell me that. And she literally like kicked me into like gear her and my clinical research project chair, so my like my thesis mm-hmm. chair, they didn't let me fall by the wayside. And I remember 2016 Christmas, was pregnant with my son, who is now mm-hmm. four. He came two months early. So much going on. That's what I'm saying back. I'm like, I'm just saying it like, uh, but yeah, it's like. You need to read a book, honestly. Right. So he was born two months early, unexpectedly on Christmas morning. And I remember being in the hospital, finishing my thesis edits, like, no, no, yeah, I was like, no, I'm getting this thing done. I want to get it done before he comes home. I didn't know that he was going to be in the hospital so long. He ended up in the hospital for four months. That's a whole nother story. (laughs) He's fine now. You would never know. He's just super rambunctious Mm. and jumps off of everything now. But at the time, it was tough. And I did eventually finish. And I was happy. I finally had my doctorate. I could use it. And I'm coming to understand that I don't know if it's because I'm a female. I don't know if it's because I'm an African-American female. But sometimes, I don't know if it's that people have issues with calling me doctor. I don't know what that's about. Because it happens a lot. And it's not, you know, sometimes with clients, it's more so with the other professionals. You know, I worked at a spot. Yeah, you know, I worked at a spot (laughs) where there were two gentlemen there. They were both called doctor. Nobody else in the practice had their doctorate. And then I come along and they want to call me by my first name. And I'm like, like, (gasps) why can't I be doctor such and such? You know, why can't? And, you know, I did have to say something because at this point in my career now, I've gone through enough things. I've had enough supervision, self-awareness to understand what my worth is as a professional and as a a doctor. And no one can tell me 
any different now, <laughs> you know, unless you are really sitting in there with me or a client comes to tell you something, then you can't tell me how professional I am or I'm not. I feel like I'm doing the best that I can and it's working to some degree. And right before I had this job that I'm telling you that I'm in now that I love, I was in a bunch of not so good jobs, you know, where you, like I said, we work in a human field. You would think there would be some compassion sometimes for just life or mistakes or learning curves. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't receiving any of that. And I didn't, I didn't like that too much. Well, and I'm guessing just from what I know of my time in the field, So my executive director, my practice is black. And so she's told me a lot about all of the hoops that she's had to jump through. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's not just you have to be as good as everyone else, you have to be better. Yeah. So you don't have a road to make mistakes, right? As a black woman, you have to be perfect. That's the superwoman schema, right? Like you really do have to be perfect all the time. And that's, I mean, it's fucking racism. I remember this, the site I was, well, not the site, the job I had right before this job, it was a neuropsychological assessment. And the gentleman and I had had some misencounters. And I remember he was upset. I don't know. He had his moments. He would be upset. And he came in and he said, I'm going to observe you doing this test today. I had been doing psychological assessments, not neuro assessments. And he knew Mm -hmm. that. And he was supposed to provide supervision. That didn't happen the way in which I needed supervision. Sometimes that's what happens, you know. The placement might not be best for your needs or, you know, for how you can thrive. And so I remember he observed me. He had nothing to say because I pretty much killed it. I knew what I was doing. Yeah. But then later he made me come in his office and he kind of like chewed me out for smelling like pot. And he said, put. He was like, yeah, something like the word I heard was put. And I was like, huh? I couldn't, I couldn't understand what he was saying. And so then I I recognized he was saying, I smell like pot. And I'm like, what the hell? No, why would I come to work like that? What are you talking about? And then one of my colleagues at the time was talking about the patient that I was testing and how they smoke all the time before they come in. Oh my God. So they, oh my God. So the old Dr. Funnies, okay. The old Dr. Funnies would have just said nothing and just let that be. But the new and improved one went to go find his butt <laughs> and bring him in the office and say, hey, it wasn't me. And I thought you said put and you went like do this motion like you're eating something. I'm, I didn't know what you were talking about. And he was like, mm-hmm. oh, you didn't you didn't know. I'm like, no, I didn't. I really didn't understand. Just so you know, it wasn't me. OK. And mm-hmm. from then on, we continue to have issues. I ended up having to leave. And this is how I found the spot where I'm at now, which is a blessing in disguise. I didn't even know. I've been there now Mm -hmm. almost going on two years and I love it. I've been home since March, since the pandemic started. I've been in this little, what you see behind me, this this is my my scene, Mm -hmm. all my clients see. So it's definitely been a journey. Oh my gosh. And I say this without, that's the most dramatic. No, well, one of the most dramatic stories. I did. I can think of one other one that was more dramatic, but not that I felt like you were telling it in a dramatic yeah, way. It literally is just, it's just, it's so intense. And yeah. you said right at the very beginning, like how lonely it is to be a therapist right now. I think the clients have no idea what our stories are, right? Yeah. You know, and all of that fucking life that you lived in a really short amount of time, like, you know, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. I know you're only 41, but I'm sure inside you feel like you're 80 sometimes because of all of that life that you lived. 
my heart goes out to you. And I'm so glad you didn't stop. I'm so yeah. glad because we talk a lot on the show about white supremacy, but like that is white supremacy at work. And that's why there aren't a lot of fucking black doctors because a lot of folks do quit because they're like, fuck you guys. I'm not going to yeah. take this. Yeah. Right. And you were like, fuck you. I'm not going to let you get me down. Yeah. I mean, they got deep. You tried to like, mm. put a, what do you call it when you try to sue someone if they're going to say something about you? Gag order. Yeah, he did that move. And I'm like, mm. but that shows you what type of person you think I am. Because I've forgotten about you already. I've taken you off of my resume. I don't need your, mm. you know, credentials or whatever you're offering. I, I have that as well. I was trying to help you out. I came to your place. Try to help you out wow. with my skills. And you didn't want them. So I would take them where they are appreciated and mm. much needed. Well, I'm hopeful too that at some point you can build what you didn't have. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. I think the meme page for real has really given me so many ideas of things that I can do. The support has just been astronomical. Right before we even mm. got on today someone had messaged me and like I love your page I'm like oh my Yay. god like I, I just gotta keep going and a lot of times I just make the memes because if I make the meme and I kind of smirk or giggle at it I'm like okay let's put it out <laughs> yeah it's really for my entertainment but I love that it is doing something for people I love that it is mm-hmm. helping or normalize whatever the mojo that's happening yeah. I love it. Wow. So do you consider yourself a healer? I do, but more like an assistant healer, because mm. I honestly believe the client is the one that does the healing. Right. I'm just there to kind of guide you along and maybe give you some empowerment or some introspection mm. or a different perspective or whatever the case. And then you take that with you. I always tell my clients, you know, It'd be funny if any of them are listening, but I always tell them, like, mm-hmm. I can't be with you in your little pocket and just yell up to you, like, use those coping skills. Like, I can't, yep. I can't be there. So you have to do it yourself. Right, right. And being able to do that, like they say, you do something different, you may get a different result. And I've been seeing people come back and tell me that that's what's happening to them. They're having conversations with people. You'd be amazed at the amount of things that people don't talk about or don't don't ask oh the assumptions right? and they just go with those like what well, mm. did you ask him did okay well let's do let's do that so right. I feel like I'm like the assistant healer but a healer for sure and how do you feel about the term wounded healer I mean is that mean did you just describe <laughs> did you hear <laughs> you uh, I actually just held up a mirror and you were like mm-hmm, yes <laughs> <laughs> Let me fix my hair because that's me, okay? <laughs> because I definitely got some battle scars on me and it's not done. I was just diagnosed with a condition that now I have to have surgery. So it's like, oh, okay, now oh, that's another, another thing I got to like push through and you know, mm. deal with because it's going to be a whole, a total change of life for me to do this surgery. Oh. And I'm just like getting prepared for that. Oh, so yeah, gosh. there'll be some more wounds for sure. <laughs> Wow. Well, and we don't have a ton of time left, but I, I'm curious, what do you make of all of this in terms of like, from a spiritual perspective, like, what meaning do you make out of that for yourself? Because I think that's what's important, right, is is how we relate to ourselves and the universe based on what we're given. Yeah. And it's true. My, my husband is a very spiritual person and he's taught me a lot about being able to deal. My, I'm an Aquarian, so we don't deal well we with don't. disappointment. <laughs> so 
when is your birthday? February 2nd. <laughs> Stop. Mine is the Four. first. <laughs> you, oh, my! I keep wanting to say your name, but Dr. Funny's girl. We are supposed to be friends. Okay. This is that's the like solidified it. It's official for sure. Right? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. We don't wow. deal well with disappointment. So he's taught me a lot in dealing <laughs> with, with that. And I know mm-hmm. as well, like a lot of the things that we have gone through have taught us a lot of lessons, have made us stronger in certain ways. And then there's like my son as well he has special needs. And so sometimes me and my husband talk about that and we talk about how blessed we are to have this son because God has pretty much shown us that we can handle this. This is what he Mm -hmm. thinks we can handle. So what a blessing to have this little guy in our lives and let's do everything we can for him. So Mm -hmm. that's how I tend to look at a lot of things. That's not to say that I don't have my days where I'm like feeling overwhelmed, (laughs) crying in the corner and then I got to get it together and keep providing and keep pushing and keep doing what I love. Mm. Well, I think listeners are going to like have their socks blown off today. Like, <laughs> just like I was like at every turn be like, no, no, that didn't happen. Oh my God. Like you really, you really actually, you should write a book or have a movie no. about your life or something because this shit is a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, what's interesting you say that is because it's stemming all the way back to that internship experience that I had, you know, out there in the Midwest and how that went. I said, this is going to be useful someday. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to talk about this as my experience. They didn't want to hear it in my interviews. Somebody's going to want to hear it and somebody's going to understand mm-hmm. what I went through and maybe provide me with the empathy that I was looking for at the time. Yeah. And again, you will provide that for people who come behind you. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I was a supervisor once and I was like the best supervisor you could ever have. Right. I, right. I, yelled. I always wanted to help you learn, whatever. Right. The case, because you need that at this time when you're, especially when you're new in this field, it can mm-hmm. be a little scary. You feel like you got to follow the book and you got to have a theory and all of these things. And it's like you eventually find your own flow. How did these people come up with theories? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Would you tell people the the at where they at you? Yes, yes. So you can mainly find me on Instagram. It's at Mental Health Funnies, and I'm also on Facebook. Again, it's just Mental Health Funnies, all one word, all lowercase. And then I'm also on Twitter as well. Same thing, Mental Health Funnies. Awesome. Well, and you'll yeah. you'll catch me commenting and liking everything on Instagram because you I could tell you were my age because all the movies that you meme are my favorite yeah. movies too. Like you're killing me, yeah. Smalls. You're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I do. And I can't say enough how much I appreciate your support, everyone that has been supporting the page, everyone that sends messages, responds to the stories, any involvement that you have with me. And as you may know, as you said in the beginning of the interview, if you share a story, I'm going to comment on it. I'm going to be like, thanks for mm-hmm. sharing. I'm going to like it. I'm a something. If you want to have mm-hmm. a back and forth about it, like we can go because I feel like it's a good connection tool and it's all been positive. So it's kind of like what I was looking for with changing the Instagram. I love it. Well, you're just a delight. And I am so proud to call you a friend now. And uh, I'll keep sharing your memes. 
Yes, I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Seriously, friends, was that story incredible or what? I am really excited to be connected with Dr. Funnies, and certainly you are going to hear about collaborations between the two of us because we have so much in common. It's kind of crazy. So thank you to Dr. Funnies. To learn more about them, you can go to our website, but she's not telling you anything. She's staying Dr. Funnies. So follow her on Instagram, follow her on Facebook at Mental Health Funnies. Just do it. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing awesomely. Thanks to Liam O'Donnell for the album art and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.